It's July 16th, 2014. You're listening to the Backhand Shelf Podcast. Today I'm joined by Thomas Durant of The Score. We're going to discuss P.K. Subban's arbitration hearing. We're going to look at Mike Babcock signing, which hasn't happened yet, unbelievably. Danny Heatley's future and a whole lot more. So let's get to it. Afternoon and welcome to the Backhand Shelf Podcast, which exists. This is a thing. I'm joined today by Thomas Trance and once again Ryan Eli in the booth. Hello, Ryan. Kent doesn't have a mic, but I'll at least just actually I do. Oh, hi. Yay. Perfect. And hi to you, Thomas. How are you? I'm well, Justin. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be doing a podcast. It yeah. feels like it's been four months and eleven days. <laughs> it actually has been that long. Uh, my sincerest apologies for that podcast. I've obviously taken a bit of a backseat at the, some changes here at the score. Now we just churn out news bits one at a time, so you, you don't miss anything. Um, so today we thought we'd start with a, a topic that is, uh, it's going to be a big deal in the NHL this year. Uh, don't know if you heard, P.K. Subban, kind of good at hockey. Uh, he's a Norris Trophy winner who is very young, who is, uh, they can't quite agree in Montreal what he's worth. Uh, Thomas, so going into this, we thought we'd kick around. Uh, will he get the highest arbitration award in NHL history? I think there's little doubt that he will. Um you know, there's uh, specific evidence that you can use in an arbitration hearing, and P.K. Subban basically nails all of it. It's like uh, community appeal is factored in and who uh, is more appealing as a personality than P.K. Subban, yeah. especially with all of the media appearances he does. I mean, he hosts or he at least guest hosts on Sportsnet like all the time. I don't um, get how people think that he's like has some like bad attitude or you know he has no. this reputation. Like he is, seems to be just an all around wonderful dude. Yeah, he's exceptionally dressed. Too. You see him in like Monaco hanging out with uh, Magic Johnson, and he's like better dressed than Magic Johnson. And to me, that should Wildly play into impressive. your arbitration award. It really should. Yeah, it's an important factor. Um, but you look at uh, so the current records: Shea Weber, right, who uh, got a seven point five million dollar award a few years back. Um, it was uh, sort of a landmark because the Predators were arguing for 4.5, and generally in arbitration, they're just like, meh, we don't know hockey, we'll just put it somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and in Shea Weber's case, they were just like, no, Shea Weber is just right. He is worth that much money. I wonder if they just didn't see Shea Weber in the room. They are like, we're not going against that thing. <laughs> Whatever Sasquatch is in the corner is right. Yeah, I mean, and fair enough. And, you know, P.K. Subban will have to dress a little more intimidatingly than, uh, right. than like a red pastel blazer. Um, <laughs> impeccably tailored but uh but you know i think he can achieve the same basic intimidating effect yeah um but like you look at the seasons they had um that year shea weber had 48 points for a predators team that went to the second round uh and then lost to the canucks on their run to the finals Uh, he had three playoff points in 10 games and again like your contributions to the success or failure of your team is a major consideration P.K. Subban had 53 points for the Montreal Canadiens this year. That would be more than 48. That would be more than 48. And 14 points in 17 playoff games. It's like, yeah, he like carried them from the back end. Um, You factor all that in, and even though P.K. Subban can't use his outrageously good fancy stats at the arbitration hearing, it just doesn't matter. He's so good. Um, And the comparables that he'll use, I mean, they're Doughty, they're Pietrangelo, uh, they're Shea Weber. Uh, those are the group two guys who uh, he can use. And, you know, I think the fact is, is based on his production and what he's done and how healthy he's been over the years. Um, you know, I don't think 8.5 is out of the realm of uh, 
possibility. Yeah, that's crazy to think that there could be an arbiter that would award $8.5 because that means if you're looking at a long-term deal, it's feasible to think he could get that or more going forward. Um, one thing I didn't fully understand and we talked about before the show is this 8.5, which is the number you've been bandying about, and maybe it's 8, maybe it's somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Reasonably, if you think about it, there's no marker, no benchmark that's been set that he's not at or better than. So I think that's completely fair to say they would settle in somewhere around 8, 8.5. Um, so it depends on who files for arbitration. Is that correct for how long the term of this is? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if the team in P.K. Subban's case, he filed for arbitration to avoid um, you know, getting lowballed in October, which is sort of what happened, albeit in January during the lockout-shortened season. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it's his choice to go to arbitration, the team gets to decide on one or two years' term from the award. Um, and they have to make that decision prior to finding out what the, the dollar amount is. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think they have to make that decision 48 hours before when they, the two sides exchange briefs or whatever. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting. I'm not, like, I'd have to check, but I'm not sure how close P.K. Subban is to being a UFA. Mm-hmm. Um, but they might elect to do just one year uh, because, first of all, teams don't like uh, a binding decision to be made by someone other than them on yeah. anyone's value. Uh, understandably, and also because it's more likely that he'd then be an RFA again, and they'd be able to sort of, um, you know, <laughs> play lo- uh, lowball him basically yeah. as they've done throughout their negotiations with him so far in his career. Do you sort of think that the way things have gone this off season, we've seen Tane and Caves get the the deals for ten point five million? Obviously, they're forwards, but that has to affect to some degree, what a star player, what a top-end player is getting paid. And I know this summer, at one point, uh, there was rumors that Subban was going to be worth uh, $6.5 million a season was what they were talking about, mm-hmm. which I remember being like, what? Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Um, do you think that, well, first off, do you think that those contracts that have been signed have changed uh, what a star player is worth? Have those been to Subban's benefit at all or no effect because they were signed by forwards? Yeah, no, I think no effect, not because they were signed by forwards, but because they were signed, um, like Kane and Taves would both be UFAs next summer, right? So, or sorry, in the summer of 2016. So, as a res- like, he can't use them as comps. Um, but I do think that the overall value for star players is if anything, lower than it has been, at least historically. And and probably, I mean, I saw, like, Sports Illustrated had a list of the 10 best-paid players in the NHL next season. And Pavel Datsuk was 10th, and he has literally $10 million in salary coming to him, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that Kane and Taves were the first to break this $10 million average cap hit barrier... Yeah, like- it's a myth, right? No, I mean, total myth. Yeah, no, there's been, there's been eight or nine players making 10 mil plus a year... And, you know, with the cap continuing to go up and with P.K. Subban a couple years away from unrestricted free agency, I mean, there's no way that guy's not making, uh, not going to be on a contract paying him an average of 10 mil plus. And probably more than that. I mean, Shea Weber's cap hit would be like 13 mil if it yeah. was... Uh, if it was, you know, not done with that back diving stuff. Well, so. that's it's impossible for me to look at him as a player and then talk about, you know, those guys who are making $10 million and say that P.K. Subban is not if not in that class, on the verge of being in that class, which he certainly does seem close to it. I wonder if you're P.K. Subban in his camp and you're trying to maximize your earnings throughout your career, if maybe you don't, you're okay with a short-term thing. If you don't want to get as as close to UFA as possible and let that salary cap go up, 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 where teams can give you more and more money before trying to launch into some 10-year deal, I think he'd probably be better off, or 8-year deal, uh, wait until he's closer to UFA to do that. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, there's, there's risks, of course, because you could get hurt or whatever, but there's mm-hmm. no doubt that, you know, especially if the Canadians are valuing his RFA years at something like 6.5, right? Yeah. Like, if they come to the table and are valuing it at 7.58 for the next two and then 10 plus after that, you know, then I consider doing it to keep my cap hit down. But, you know, if they're lowballing him at, at, at 6.5, I mean, well, there's no incentive to not just, like, wait it out, mm-hmm. go to arbitration, set a record, and then, uh, and then do it all again next summer. How crazy is it just looking back at how recently uh, big centers have signed deals that now like pale in comparison? I remember when I saw the uh, the Getzlaff contract and I was like, I don't know. And now, <laughs> you know, 8.25 seems reasonable. And then looking at Patrice Bergeron makes $6.5 million a year until 2022. And uh, the fancy stats crowd in general, but also Bruins fans and smart hockey fans, recognize mm-hmm. that Bergeron is one of the best centers in hockey. He's making six five. Yeah, that's he must a ridiculous feel deal. No, he should. And uh, he must especially feel robbed because I saw, you know, our colleague Ian uh, McLaren pointed out on Twitter, like, you know, everyone's like, man, it's totally fair for the Blackhawks to have Kane and Taves through forever at uh, $21 million combined. And he was like, man, the Bruins had... Uh, Bergeron and Sagan signed till 2019 at a combined hit of 12-5. And it's oh. just, God, that has to hurt. Like that, how soon after trading Sagan do you think Shirelli was just like, oh, whoa, wait, oops, like, can I redo Molly? Uh, breakfast I, ball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly don't think, uh, I mean, at least Boston fans were completely, you know, when Matt Fraser scored that, like, overtime winner, yeah, and yeah. it was off his skate. Told you this is paying yeah, off. Yeah, this is paying off. Look at all this forward depth. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. We got that Riley Smith, though. Who's super good, but... <laughs> yeah, no, he's good. Yeah. But, uh, the point is, I think, actually, and this is, well, this is the fun part about podcasting. This is totally off the rails and nothing we had in our topic list. But I was talking with uh, Scott Lewis the other day, and we were wondering, is it feas- feasible? How far in the future? Well, is it feasible at all? Could Tyler Sagan lead the NHL in points one year? If And let's say, I know Crosby, if he's healthy, is the dude. He's going to be that dude. But let's say Crosby gets hurt. Take Crosby out of the equation because he's so far off the grid. All right, we'll just say, can he finish second in the league in scoring? Is he that good? Is he already that guy? Yes. I think next year he could do it. I think next year he could do it. He had he had a 40-goal season as a 22-year-old. He was in the top 10 this year in points. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, he, pl- he plays with Ben, who's, you know, that helps. Uh, yeah. He's got Nachushkin, who is going to be a monster. And then, like, what happens if that Dallas team gets uh, one excellent, because, you know, Gontenshara's corpse is not going to cut it, and Goligoski's sort of a cut below the player that I'm talking about. But, like, what if they get an Airhoff type, like a guy who can really get the puck to forwards on the power play? Maybe they get Latang or something. Maybe they pry him free. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd be more surprised if Sagan doesn't have a 50-goal season in the next three years than if he does. Yeah, Yeah. I absolutely agree. Okay, well, uh, speaking of young players, um, there's a couple of them around the league who aren't too happy with their current teams. Um, And they're all very good players, players I would very much like to see play for my own squad. Uh, We'll start off the top of our list here and go with Ryan O'Reilly and his situation in Colorado. Uh, they can't. They had their issues with the last two-year deal. They're having more issues now. They're going to arbitration again. Um, what's the story with him? Do you think uh, he's going to be out of there before long, or do, who's wrong in this whole battle in Colorado? Most importantly, Colorado. Yeah, clearly. I mean, you know, they're taking him to arbitration, and it's cutback arbitration, right? When you do play with team elected, you can cut back a guy's salary uh, by fifteen percent or whatever. So. 
realistically, you know, his qualifying offer should be 6.5, which granted is a bit rich, but the max they can't they can barely reduce it by a million dollars, right? And is, like, it, and is it rich anyway? Is that that rich for Ryan no. O'Reilly for a year? No, I mean he's what he's he's so young too. He's like 23. Yeah. He doesn't take penalties. He looks like he's 80 by the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's gonna look like that, I swear, for 20 years because yeah. he does all that yoga and stuff. He just needs to get that haircut. I mean, he needs my a goodness. tooth, man. <laughs> I don't understand hockey players that like have the teeth and uh, and just don't put them in. I think it's the Bobby Clark thing. I have actually, a, a, let's just take tangents all day <laughs> yeah. today. I was playing softball this weekend uh, with the NHL alumni team, which is, hey, that was like a weird name drop thing, whatever. But Mike Krusholniski was telling me a story about uh, LaPointe, when he played with LaPointe. Uh, guy LaPointe, Guy LaPointe. And he was saying that back in the day, all the hockey players had bridges. Their front you know, teeth mm-hmm. are fake, and so they would take them out when they would go out on the ice. And so one time, they all, all the guys go out, and he comes back in the dressing room and mixes up everyone's teeth. <laughs> so all the guys go back in the room, and they're putting in someone else's teeth. He said, standing there, he, d- he didn't know what was funnier. This is Krushaniski saying. He didn't know if it was funnier watching the guys put in e- each other's teeth or watching LaPointe lose his mind <laughs> trying not to laugh at everyone putting in each other's teeth. Oh, man. Anyway, I think people should wear their teeth when they're not playing. Um, anyway, I agree. <laughs> Back to hockey. Um, another guy, Evander Kane. Uh, we've got a pickle there. He has been less than subtle about the idea that he wants out of Winnipeg. Um, do you think that they're going to move him? Do they have to move him? Is there a way to resolve that situation there and keep him? Because obviously you want to keep a guy like him around. I think legitimately, like of the three players on this list, I think Evander Kane's the guy who uh, people buy like around the league. The uh, the issues that Winnipeg is having with him turns off other teams. Yeah. Like, you know, I think everyone looks at Colorado and the Crankies and what happened with the Nuggets last year and how they run their other professional sports teams. And they're like, oh, yeah, the Crankies lowballing a key player. Like, yeah, we're not going to hold that against Ryan O'Reilly. And Ryan Johansson, similarly, um, you know, everyone gets into these sort of tiffs. And realistically, I mean, he was a scratch in the Calder Cup playoffs last year, right? Like, yeah. Johansson and the Blue Jackets have sort of rarely seen eye to eye. Um, I think Evander Kane's issues do turn off other teams, uh, especially because, you know, there's PR perspectives involved and he gets into trouble on Twitter occasionally. And there's sort of the idea that, you know, maybe he's not trying as hard because he's not happy. And I think that's just a big red flag for teams. Like Jason Botchford in Vancouver reports that the Canucks, you know, Evander Kane's hometown team, uh, guys like a hero there for what he did with the Giants, um, you know, have zero interest. And granted, they're managed by Jim Benning, who also traded Tyler Sagan. So, you know, <laughs> let's take that with, or was at least part of it, um, take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, I think my guess would be that that's not a unique perspective among NHL teams. So, you know, if that's true, then it's really tough for the Jets to get the type of deal that makes it worthwhile trading a yeah. 30 goal scorer who can punch everyone out. Yeah, th- this is uh, one of those things, and I wrote about it the other day with Mike Ribeiro about the concept of locker room cancers and the damage they can do. And teams will tolerate locker room cancers if they're really good at hockey. And there mm-hmm. is sort of this swing where obviously you can be, you know, X much of a dick if you are this good at hockey. And as the balance sort of goes like this, if it levels out or your level of dickness uh, slides below your playing level, you know, you you basically you're screwed. So Evander Kane to me is still one of those guys that even if he is a bit of a, a less than charming fella behind the scenes, if you gave him a fresh start somewhere, he was happy. He's still got all that talent, a chance to learn from his mistakes and mature. He's young. Mm-hmm. Mike Ribeiro's 34. 
He's had these problems everywhere he's been. Um, you know, they say, ah, why, why would I bite my tongue? That hurt. <laughs> he's, he's had these problems. You know, you've, you've heard about them behind the scenes at a lot of places. I don't believe Microbear's changing. Even if he's a good deal for a million bucks, I don't want him around. I just I can find another player. Ribeiro's not going to be that great at 34. Maybe he's getting you 40 points. But Vander Kane, I'm taking a chance on that guy every time, particularly if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, who are trying to sort of make this retool, repush, and he's young and he's got a great contract to say, we have no interest in that kid. It's just ignorant. It's wild. It's wild. It's uh extremely concerning and uh, <laughs> sorry about your tongue I guess we're out of practice right you need I don't know to, like... it's just flapping around in my mouth and all these tangents it's not helping um, but yeah no I mean Evander Kane makes a ton of sense for a team like Vancouver who's desperate to replenish not their stock of Nick Beninos, but their stock of like top line and that's forwards. exactly it and, uh, yeah <laughs> you have to have those top end guys to win um uh, in a completely different direction from the young guys, we'll go to an old one uh, in Danny Heatley. He's now signed with the with the Anaheim Ducks for one year and $1 million, which, by the way, is like the going rate now when people are like, we don't know if you're good anymore, but you used to be, so let's just see. You know, it's sort of like it's a free pass for a team. It's a guy giving a guy a chance for a year. These lottery tickets are out there every summer. You're in a million bucks. Show us what you can do. And you get a motivated player trying to prove himself. So the word is he might get a chance to play with the, the top line with Getzlaff and Perry in, in Anaheim. How do you think this is going to pan out? Uh, it's. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if he'll actually get it. But, uh, but you know, Bruce Boudreau was on the Sportsnet 590, the fan, uh, I guess, Monday night, and sort of elaborated on his uh, his forward lines and the addition of Kessler and sort of the options that he has. And he sounded pretty excited, which fair enough. Um, but on Danny Heatley, he said, you know, you, you give a guy like Danny Heatley a chance in a scorer's role, and if he can't do it, you'll know really quickly. Um, and uh, and anyway, if you put him on your third or fourth line, he's going to play like a third or fourth liner, and I want Danny Heatley thinking finish all the time. For sure. So, you know, we're going to give him this shot and see what he can do with it. And uh, and it's interesting to me because, you know, after what Smith Pelly did in the playoffs, like, <laughs> I thought he would be just penciled in. Like, I don't mm-hmm. see any reason you'd move that beast off of that top line. He's so good. Uh, but, you know, I really do wonder if, uh, if you know, Boudreaux's, you know, he's he's been there for a bit. He sort of knows the players now. I, I, I sort of wonder if he hasn't talked to anyone on the roster in two months to just, like, give them a break from him. Yeah. And, uh, and this is sort of his way of, like, motivating not just Heatley, you know, who has a reputation for not always working very hard and maybe scoring 50 goals despite having a bit of hang time, um, with, uh, <laughs> with, um, you know, motivating both that guy, but also motivating the young players, because um, you know he conspicuously like had a line where he was like, "We have one AHL guy who's ready to come up and play," but he didn't specify who. And then he get, uh, sort of described a second line of his dreams that included Silverberg, who you know more of a veteran guy than the likes of Edom uh, or Smith Pelly. Um, and Cogliano on a line with Kessler. So it was like none of his young guys were in, penciled into yeah. a top six role. And I, I I just wonder if he was like playing games or if it was a lot of psychology. And maybe Danny Heatley's not penciled in there yet. Yeah, well, that leads into what we were going to talk about next. And, uh, well, that's about Mike Babcock. And mm-hmm. he's a guy that I've, I believe I've written about it before, where I just think that when he talks to the media, he's not talking to the media. He's constantly coaching. You know, he when he knows that things he says are going to show up in the paper the ne- next day, he knows his team is going to read those things, and his words carry a lot of weight. He doesn't say things for the sake of saying them. They usually have meaning, so he'll say in interviews something like, 
you know, we, we're not tired. You know, of course we're not tired. We have no excuse to be tired. It's the playoffs. It's, you know, whatever. Something like that where he's trying to get into his team's head that, like, nah, it's not an excuse. We're not, we're not having that. And I think Boudreaux, I don't know if he's savvy enough to do that. He's been around a long time. I don't know if those guys go into those interviews thinking, uh, I'm going to send a message here. But I got to believe they're aware that what they're saying will be seen by their guys. And like you said, you don't communicate with your coach in the summer. If if you do, maybe through text or you know maybe once every month or two. So if he's got the, ch- the chance to send a message or two out there, it's not a bad one to have your AHL players thinking, holy shit, there's a spot there? Is it me? What's What are we on the verge of here? Um, okay, so next we're going to lead from there into the Babcock thing. Well, we'll go ahead and just say Mike Babcock is not signed yet. Is he the top free agent of the 2015 summer? I think so. You do? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Keep in mind, next summer, uh, David Krejci is going to be a free agent. Bobby Ryan's going to be a free agent. And you think that Mike v- Babcock will be more highly pursued than those two names? I, I, in terms of suitors, yes. I actually do think so. I mean, not in terms of money, because no one's paying a coach 10 mil. Right. Um, which they might pay Bobby Ryan, realistically. I mean, he's from Cherry Hill, and Philadelphia is totally going to clear space to do it. <laughs> but, um, but, but, uh, but, yeah, I think he'll have. I mean, could Babcock get paid? You know, going rate for a veteran coach is two mil. Mm-hmm. Um, like, could Babcock double that if he's literally on the open market? There's no compensation attached to it. And you know, he there's news reports every second day about him eating at Barbarians with Shanahan, and then yeah. like flying off to chat with. Uh, Berkel in uh, in Pittsburgh somewhere. I mean, um, yeah, no, I think I think he could double the going rate for coaches uh, next summer. I think he'll have a crazy amount of interest. And I think already when you look at like who teams have hired, you know, Pittsburgh didn't bring in a veteran coach to coach Crosby. The Leafs retained Carlisle against all common sense and you know available evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I almost wonder if teams are lining up for him. Right? I mean, that's sort of been the subtext of nearly every eyebrow-raising coaching hire this summer. Um, I don't know that teams are similarly uh, clearing space for Bobby Ryan or David Krejci, at least not yet. The Flyers will start, but yeah. first they have to fall out of the playoff picture. It is pretty remarkable, um, you know, because there there isn't that many coaches out there that teams will chase after, and most coaches won't even go into the last year of their deal without something, you know, unless they... they have a pretty good idea they're getting canned. So it's funny to see Babcock, who they clearly want to sign, just be like, eh, you know what, I'm going to pull a LeBron. Like He's going to have a, the decision for Mike Babcock and be like, I'm going to take my coaching talents to Dallas. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. Do you think it'll be worth it for whoever gets him? Because I, I don't know what your stance is on how many uh, wins a head coach can affect a team. I've written about it before, and I think I said it can probably swing your team... I don't really know, but maybe five to seven points in the standings. Sounds about right. You think, yeah, and that's, right that's monumental. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. You, you take an 85, 86-point team, you take the Toronto Maple Leafs, what were they last year, 84 points or something? Right. You know, yeah. And that's you're saying a coach can launch that team into the playoff picture. I mean, that's worth $4 million to me. Well, you see, in, in Toronto's case, right, and I, I know you'd agree with this, is that, uh, is that Toronto sort of got the opposite effect going, right? It's not that a good coach would launch uh, them to an, 91 points. An average points. points might keep <laughs> Or average like coach? An average coach might mean more just because you're getting rid of you know, a coach who arguably costs them significantly, right? Like a coach can have a, a huge negative impact, I think. Yeah. No, um, and that's actually when I say five to seven points. I wonder what the swing from the worst coach to the best coach is because it hurts me to say, but my New York Islanders have Jack Capuano as a coach, and I played briefly for him in the American League, and I have an idea of how he coaches his team. 
And he's a very nice man, and everyone likes him, and everyone wants to succeed with him. He's a good motivator. But he, there is zero tactical planning going on. I mean, this is your standard forecheck. This is stuff you find out of a book. They're not doing anything unique, original, and you're not making many adjustments. So I don't happen to think he's a great coach at the NHL level. Um, someone like Babcock, if they go head-to-head with the same team, I think they, he beats them 60-some percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big swing. You know, so it's interesting to wonder what it's actually worth to swing from the worst to the best coach. Well, you know, I, I mean, I cheer for the Canucks who went from Alain Vigneault one year and were a 110-point team and uh, and went to John Tortorella and became an 83-point team. So That's like, a huge so swing. So like 27 points. <laughs> and with the roster, you know, obviously being a little different, but you, you have to chalk 10 of those up to Tortorella versus Vigneault, don't you? Well, yeah, and you know, I, 110's a bit of an exaggeration. I guess that was the last time they played a full season. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I would say, like... You know, Vigneault had the Canucks there. Into, the, into the playoffs. People, like, talking themselves into them being contenders but not really believing it. Yeah. Um, and Ryan Kessler was hurt the whole year. Um, Tortorella had Kessler, and that team sucked. Tortorella played Kessler like a maniac. He played him, like, 22 minutes a night. And on the wing. Told him he wasn't a center. It's yeah. like, yeah, good, good yeah. luck with that. <laughs> All right, and we'll move on to our final topic of the day because we're told that podcasts are better short than long. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, we're both going to pick a team that didn't make playoffs last year that will this year. And we're both going to pick a team that made playoffs that will not. Um, I got to believe the teams that were saying that made it that won't made it. Their fans are listening to this going, oh, God, it's going to be us. It's going to be us for sure. So I'll let you lead it off. What team missed playoffs that's going to make it this year and why? Um, I think the Canucks are going to ah, make the playoffs. We're I'm both making going the, full homer yeah, on this. Yeah, full homer. Um, but, you know, the Canucks are going to be a tough team to play against. They are legitimately going to have some offensive punch on all four lines. They've still got... You know, a fringe top five defense core in the NHL, sixth or seventh at worst. Um, and, you know, you look around their division, and I think they, you know, despite, and this is so comical to say this because you just know that Corey Schneider and Roberto Luongo are going to steal a couple playoff series and meet in the Eastern yeah. Conference <laughs> final in a Vancouver Canucks fan's worst nightmare. But um, you look around that division, and they might have the best goaltending one, two in that division um, with. Uh, you know, Jonathan Quick's repeated inability to post an average save percentage in the regular season. Oh. And and Gibson I, and Anderson are untested. And Niemi lost his starting job to Staylock in the postseason. I mean, you know, of the teams that anyone thinks anything of, I think the Canucks might have the best goaltending tandem. Isn't that crazy? It's so funny that they went from... All right, we have a starter who's amazing and a goalie behind him who's pushing him and might be a starter, and then they had nothing. And then this year they have a goalie who's the obvious starter and a guy behind him who's pushing them, and they're both great again. Like, it's yeah. the exact same situation. Uh, yeah, and hopefully it just plays out a bit differently, right? Yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> you know, learn their lessons of old. All right, um, my full homer pick of team that missed the playoffs getting in is the New York Islanders. I don't even really believe it when I say it. I kind of half believe that they can be close to it, but you know, I was doing a little radio today with Connor McKenna, and I was talking about the uh, their division there, the Metro. I mean, the Rangers got worse this summer. There's no doubt about it. So maybe you get an extra few points there. Uh, The Flyers, I see no reason to believe that they're better than they were the year before. Carolina Hurricanes might be one of the worst teams next year. They have a great top talent, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot there. Uh, The Devils, I don't know. They're fine. You know, there's no one really that makes you go, holy shit, like, watch out for... Even Pittsburgh is good. They're they're going to be good, but I don't know. I really feel like the Islanders have a chance to take more points from teams than they did last year. Um... 
I think Ryan uh, Strom is going to take some big strides this year and going to be a contributor. I think Brock Nelson is ready to be more of a contributor. I think Grabowski and Kuhleman give them real NHL depth, which they haven't had in a long time. They're young guys on D, like Calvin DeHaan they just signed. good. Hamonic is ready to be a top-pair D legit. Vishnovsky will be healthy. they got goaltending in Halak, which they haven't had, and they've had Nabokov. The Islanders are just better. They got better, so I think they're going to get... They'll take some some real strides next year and be close to making playoffs. Halak is key, right? Like yeah. that, this Islanders team made the playoffs with awful goaltending a couple of years ago, and granted, shortened season. But uh, but you know, I mean, is Grabner going to play with uh, Kuhlman and Grabowski? Because that sounds like one of the best second lines in hockey. And that then it sounds just like a whirling dervish. Of oh kid. man, that'd be tough to deal with. Oh, it'd be so much fun. And then uh, and then you know you've got like Nelson who can maybe play with. Uh, Nielsen on like a pretty interesting. I think they're going to move Strom to wing. Is, uh, right. is what they're talking so about. So play him so. with uh, Okpozo and Tavares because like no one can, no one with any talent, and he obviously has a lot of it. Tons is is going to. He do blew up the American there. League with like fifty points in thirty six games, and yeah. had uh, I think I think it was ten points his last seventeen NHL games. So. Yeah, I mean he's found the back of the net and set up goals at every level. Oh, yeah. You know he's clearly good. So yeah, I mean, you know, that sounds like a really interesting forward group. It's too bad they couldn't add a D. Like it's too bad Boyle They definitely are lacking. Yeah. Like yeah, it's too bad that they don't have another guy to sort of put with Vishnovsky there, but mm-hmm. you're right. Like Dehan Dehan played really well last year and I think he's well worth the contract they gave him. Oh, also Casey Sezikis is great. Oh, really? I, I'm a big fan of him as like a penalty killer who yeah. just like takes shots from no more than 5 feet out of the net. <laughs> like I just like that about his game. Yeah. Okay, and then uh our teams that made it that will not make it, uh I will once again let you lead us off. Who's going to miss? I'm going Philly because you know the Islanders are going to bump him out anyway. So yeah, uh, buddy. so um <laughs> but uh but you know, I think uh I think the Philadelphia Flyers are going to be leaning heavily on Steve Mason. And, you know, though it didn't happen last year, I think eventually the bottom falls out on that because I don't think Steve Mason's as good as he's shown over the last year and a half. Um, I still don't like that defense core particularly. That team sucked at 5-on-5 despite (laughs) having players like Couturier who should be good. Uh, You know, I don't really rate Braden Shen. I don't think they have a second line. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, Giroux's going to score, obviously. Giroux will get his. And... But yeah, I mean, the Hartnell trade too. You think like I loved that power play. That power play, the Philadelphia Flyers were secretly the uh, 2012-13 Washington Capitals, and that they literally made the playoffs just because their power play was so sick. Yeah. And what was key was having uh, both Hartnell and Simmons uh, like rotating in and out of the high and the low slot because goalies Cause just both of see them were anything. miserable to be around. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got and then you've got like uh, Voracek directing traffic at the point. You add Timonen, who's awesome, and Giroux, who's an elite offensive player. I mean, that was as good as it got in the NHL uh, last year. And, uh, you know, I think losing Hartnell, like, doesn't seem like it should matter that much, but he's he's that beef in front of the net, and when you've got a power play that's working like that, it's, yeah. like, all about calibration. I am so confused by the whole thing. Like, R.J. Umberger, like, yeah. that was who you would prefer to have in and, your lineup? And then they're like, because we wanted speed. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, that's not the reason. <laughs> have you watched the game? Um, Alright, I'm going to take the obvious one. Well, it's not obvious, because Colorado had 112 points. Third in the league. Third in the league. 112 points. Yeah, they're garbage. <laughs> it's mind-boggling to take a team that did that well and be like, nah, that team with you know that thrived on young talent who is all going to be a bit better is going to be a lot worse. But that Western Conference is brutal. And everything that happened last year was an absolute gift for Colorado. They got every break they possibly put could have got. Um, they got you know Vesna-quality performance in front of their behind a decor that was... In my opinion, one of the worst decors in the league. I mean, 
I'm not so sure it's going to be a whole lot better this year by adding Brad Stewart. They signed, I wrote about their offseason this summer, which has been just an abomination. So I think realistically they could be a full, you know, 20 points worse and, you know, who knows, beyond. So I got Colorado out. How's that sound to you? Yeah, no, I'm fully on board and I'm really looking forward to everyone being like the math still wasn't right the team was just thrown off because Ryan O'Reilly was upset the whole year and uh, and everyone will sort of like blast him as he gets traded out of town after a disappointing season you know those can all be contributing factors it can be a little bit of column A a little bit of column B but you know there's going to be excuses made. it can be a little bit of column B <laughs> but like that's not going to sink the third if they were actually the third best team in the league it wouldn't sink them but no. they're not no and you know as you said every little bit matters but uh but yeah, I mean, even their comebacks and stuff last year, and they got a lot of timely goals from Duchesne, and I like Varlamov. I think he's really good, but I don't think he's as good as he was last season. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that team's due for regression in a big way. What I'm looking forward to is if they are worse, which they're undeniably going to be worse, but if they're a ton worse, which I think is very possible, Patrick Waugh is going to say some outlandish shit. It is going to be hilarious watching Patrick Waugh and what comes out of his mouth, because... I don't know if he's going to blast his players. I don't know if he's climbing the glass. Is he throwing shoes at refs? I cannot wait to see when he comes unglued. And that has been the Backhand Shelf Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Thomas. Anytime. And uh, we'll, we'll try to do a couple more of these this summer as uh, events warrant. We just thought we'd get uh, back in here and see how it felt. It felt pretty good, actually. So uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Backhand Shelf Podcast. Hey, if you got something to say, send us an email. Backhandshelf at thescore.com. 